Good morning again, and welcome back to Prairie View Christian Church. Now, today is the first Sunday of Advent 2017, and Advent is the traditional historic celebration of the Incarnation amongst Christians and churches. And there are all kinds of ways that people celebrate Advent these days. I'm sure you've seen many of them. There's the traditional multicolored candles, very symbolic. There are calendars to count down the days until Christmas. And there's no shortage of special devotionals and readings to which you can subscribe in your email for Advent. And even though there's been somewhat of a revival of the more traditional forms of celebrating Advent, many people don't know what the word Advent actually means. Advent is a form of the Latin word for wait. Advent is meant to be understood and celebrated as a season of waiting, a season of anticipation and expectation. In the Old Testament, God's people were waiting for the Messiah to come, the one who would free them once and for all from oppression and captivity and put them back in their rightful place as God's chosen and prosperous nation. For those of us who recognize Jesus as that long-awaited Messiah, we wait too. We wait for him to return. But today I'd like to spend some time thinking about Advent, and specifically this idea of waiting. And if there's one book of the Bible that speaks regularly about waiting, it's the Psalms. The Psalms were written by many different authors over a long period of time in Israel's history. There's seemingly a psalm for everything. Times of joy and grief, confidence and doubt, worship and complaint, deliverance and judgment. Some have said that the book of Psalms is the closest thing that Israel had to a prayer book or even a hymnal. So this December, as we look forward to Christmas, as we wait with anticipation and expectation, we'll spend time in the Psalms. The same way Israel looked to the Psalms as they waited for the Messiah to come in the past. Now, around this time of year, many Christians and many churches will focus on a few well-known Old Testament passages looking forward to the coming of Christ. There's the passage in Isaiah referring to the virgin bearing a child. There's the passage from Micah naming Bethlehem as the birthplace of a Savior. And those passages are all well and good. They definitely serve as clear previews of who Jesus is and what he would do. Like signs for a gas station or a restaurant when you're approaching an exit on the interstate, there are plenty of Old Testament verses telling us what lies ahead in the New Testament. But the Psalms are a neglected book in this regard. Many of the Psalms point us ahead to the coming of Christ. And we can learn much about Christ by looking to the Psalms in this Christmas season. So with that, open your Bibles to Psalm 37. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we do any reading, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. I was just telling someone earlier that our sanctuary always looks beautiful at Christmas. It's sometimes a little bit of a plain room the rest of the year, but when we have lights up and the tree and decorations, it really comes to life. 
Um, but Father, our sanctuary, as pretty as it might be this time of year, uh, pales in comparison to your beauty and your glory. And so, Father, I pray as we open your word that we would realize that we come into the presence of your beauty. We come into the presence of your glory when we read your word. And I pray that we would not take this privilege lightly. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we celebrate that the Messiah has come. We remember that every year at Christmas. And, Father, help us wait faithfully as we look forward to him to return. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name who died on the cross for our sins. Amen. Well, with all this talk of waiting, we should acknowledge from the get-go that most of us aren't very good at waiting. Olivia will be the first to tell you that I am not very patient. A few days ago, I was waiting for a package from the Postal Service, so when I saw the mailman pulling towards our mailbox, I went outside to get it. And by the time I got there, the mail lady was turned around in the truck gathering all of our mail together. And when she turned around and saw me standing there, it scared her so much that she said a four-letter word that's inappropriate for a sermon. But the point is that I'm not good at waiting. When I was a kid, I was the one digging through closets looking for Christmas gifts from mom and dad three weeks before Christmas. And usually I was pretty good at finding them. But then again, I'm not the only one who's not good at waiting. Amazon Prime makes a killing because they offer two-day shipping. They know that people don't want to wait for their stuff. Half the people I see at Starbucks every Wednesday order their coffee through the mobile app. That way they don't have to wait in line. And when those people walk in and their drink isn't sitting on the counter waiting for them, ready to go, they seem almost offended. How dare they have to wait for their coffee? Now, there are certainly exceptions to the rule, but the truth remains that most of us, most of the time, are not very good at waiting. But as we all know, there are some things that you can't speed up. Sometimes you have no choice but to learn how to wait. We have families in this church eagerly awaiting the birth of a baby. And you can't speed that up. And doctors usually don't want you to under normal circumstances. If you're an athlete who suffers an injury, you can get all the best treatments in the world. But sometimes you simply have to wait for healing to really occur. Well, in the Old Testament, God's people had to learn to wait. And they often learned how to wait the hard way. And that's what David talks about in Psalm 37. Now, David, of course, knew a thing or two about waiting. When the giant Goliath was mocking Israel's army, mocking Israel's God for 40 days, David waited and waited and waited for someone to trust God enough to step up and fight. But no one trusted God. And so after waiting, David stepped up and David won that battle. After he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel, David waited for what seemed like an eternity before he actually ascended the throne. In the meantime, David had more than one opportunity to kill King Saul, speed things up, end the wait. But instead, he faithfully waited for God to act. He trusted and he obeyed. And then after he became king, David wanted to build God a temple. But instead, God told him to wait until his death. And give the job to Solomon 
instead. So David knows what it's like to wait. And David's learned from experience that God rewards those and takes care of those who trust in him. He loves those who wait for him. We see that in Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So starting out the psalm, David talks about waiting out evildoers. Something he had to do more than once. And his instruction is pretty simple. That yes, there are evildoers out there, but don't worry about them too much. And certainly don't envy them. Instead, you focus on doing good. Delight yourself in God, rest in God, and trust God. Anger and worry and wrath, they aren't the answer. Just wait. And David says that in doing so, you'll be rewarded. God will come through. Now the theme continues throughout the rest of the psalm, but we pick up in verse 34. David says there, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them, because they take refuge in him. Now David knows just how difficult all this waiting will be. Again, he's experienced these tests of patience and trust before in his own life. But he makes it clear that even when it looks like evil is getting the upper hand, even when it looks like there is no hope for you, wait. Because eventually, God will act. It might not be in the time frame that you desire. It might not be in the manner that you expect. But God will act on your behalf. You will have a future. 
the wicked will one day be cut off. And as you wait, your job is to take refuge in God. Your job is to trust him. Your job is to wait. Now the theme continues in other psalms as well. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 130 talks about the same thing. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All over the pages of Scripture, virtues associated with waiting, virtues like patience and hope, endurance and faithfulness, virtues like that are constantly honored. Why? Because our willingness to wait for God to act displays our trust in him to act. When you sit and wait at a restaurant, you trust that eventually someone's going to bring you your food. And if you don't trust that you're going to be fed, would you keep waiting? Would you sit there for the rest of time? Of course not. You'd get up and you'd go somewhere else. But scripture shows us time and time again that in the end, God comes through for his people. God comes through for those who trust him. God comes through for those who wait for him. Now, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapters 10 through 13 that doesn't get mentioned very much. It's not a well-known story in the Bible, but it revolves around waiting, obedience and trust. In that story, the prophet Samuel tells the newly anointed King Saul to wait seven days for him to arrive. And when Samuel gets there, they'll offer sacrifices to God together. So Saul waits seven days. Samuel doesn't arrive. And the people around Saul begin to scatter. As a result, Saul panics and he offers the sacrifices to God without Samuel. But then when Samuel does arrive, just a little bit later, Samuel rebukes Saul. He makes it clear that Saul was impatient. Saul was irreverent when he offered sacrifices without Samuel being there. And Saul's inability to wait just a little bit longer exposed his lack of trust in God. And that's a bad example of someone unwilling to wait. But there are good examples in Scripture as well. Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, 
They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God's people, fresh out of slavery in Egypt, are standing behind Moses. And they see water on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other side. Well, what should they do in that predicament? Should they try to fight the Egyptians even though they'll certainly lose? Should they proactively surrender to the Egyptians and hope that Pharaoh is feeling merciful? Should they throw themselves into the sea and take their chances trying to swim? No. Moses gives them just about the most illogical command he could offer. He tells the Israelites to just stand there. Be silent. God will fight for you. You just need to wait. Now, have you ever found yourself in a position where you could do nothing but wait? Maybe you're waiting for the doctor to call back with the test results. Or you're waiting for that call back after a job interview. Or maybe you're waiting for the professor to post final grades. But we all know from experience, one way or another, that waiting can be grueling. Waiting makes us feel like we've lost control. Waiting makes us feel vulnerable. In the words of recently deceased theologian Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. But the good news is that we belong to a God who watches over us as we wait through the ups and downs of this life. We belong to a God who always, ultimately comes through for his people, even if it's not in the time frame or the manner that we prefer. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God's people have lost everything. The city of Jerusalem has been ransacked. The temple has been destroyed. They've been taken from their homes against their will. It was a complete disaster. And as the Israelites sit in Babylon, they wonder, well, what do we do now? What comes next? So God gives them instruction through the prophet Jeremiah. God says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 
I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So God's instructions to the exiles in Babylon is not to start an uprising. It's not to secretly sabotage the city in which they live that has mistreated them so terribly. The solution is not for them to try and sneak out under the cover of night. God tells them to go on about life. I'll deliver you when I'm good and ready. You just wait. God makes it clear that he knows what he's doing. He's still in control. Now, these verses in Jeremiah are often abused and twisted to suggest that God will never let anything bad happen to us. Well, that's not true, because God's the one who sent them to Babylon in the first place. But the lesson is that God's people are called to do good and pursue faithfulness and obedience through the times of joy and grief, confidence and doubt, worship and complaint, deliverance and judgment, Those times so common in the Psalms and so common in our own lives. The Psalms challenge and remind and encourage us over and over again to wait for the Lord. The same way that God told his people to wait in Babylon. The same way that God told his people to wait as they stood by the Red Sea. The same way God told David to wait As he took care of Saul. Again, Advent is a season of waiting. But more than that, Advent reminds us that as God's people waited for the Messiah to come, they weren't waiting in vain. Advent reminds us that God was faithful in the past by sending a deliverer the way he promised he would. It goes back all the way to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Right after Adam and Eve fall into sin. We read there, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The waiting of Advent is far greater than David waiting for someone to fight Goliath, or waiting for the throne to be his. The waiting of Advent is far greater than waiting for God to deliver the people by the Red Sea. It's greater than the waiting for God to set people free From Babylon. The waiting of Advent is greater than the wait to hear back from the doctor's office or the job interview or the professor. Advent reminds us that God's people were waiting for deliverance, not just from Egypt, 
Not just from Babylon. Not just from King Saul. Not just from the hard parts of life that frustrate us. But we are waiting for deliverance from the sin and death that entered the world when Eve was deceived and Adam sinned. Mankind was waiting for a savior, a deliverer, someone who could wash away the guilt and impurity of that rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Mankind was waiting for someone who could defeat the ultimate evildoer, that serpent that God cursed. And at Advent, we celebrate that God came through. That God has provided that Savior. God has provided that Deliverer. Not necessarily in the time frame that people expected. Not necessarily in the manner that people expected. He was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. Called Emmanuel, God with us. And would eventually set us free... Not through victory over all the bad guys, but by letting himself be killed by all the bad guys. So at Advent, we celebrate that in one sense, the waiting is over. The Messiah has already come. He has lived and he has died and he has risen and he has ascended. But we also find ourselves waiting again and trusting again that someday Christ will return. So in the meantime, as we wait, we look to the Psalms to remind us and instruct us and challenge us to trust and wait in the Lord, like the people of God before us. God did not let them down as they waited, and he will not let us down either. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of year when we look back in the pages of your word and we see all the events, all the prophecies, all the things that led up to the incarnation of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that all those people in the Old Testament who waited and trusted and obeyed and then waited and trusted some more, they weren't foolish, they weren't naive, they weren't waiting in vain that you provided for them and that you've provided for us. You've given us the Savior, the Deliverer that we needed, stretching all the way back to the garden. So, Father, as we celebrate Christmas and the weeks ahead, I pray that you would help us to wait faithfully. We celebrate that the waiting is over. Christ has come, but we also have waiting still left to do. I pray that we would wait faithfully for Christ to return. Thank you for who you are and what you've done, and that you've provided that person who would crush the head of Satan on our behalf and would die for our sins. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
As we talked about a couple weeks ago, in Matthew 24 and 25 and 2 Peter chapter 3, we are certainly waiting for the return of Christ. And the book of Hebrews communicates the same thing. So in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, we read this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews makes it clear that as we wait for Christ's return, we do it together. We come together, we sing, we pray, we teach each other, we hold each other accountable, we wait together as the family of God and as a church family. So I pray in the season of waiting for Christmas and waiting to celebrate the birth of Christ that we would wait together and that we would do all the things that the author of Hebrews tells us to do. Instruct each other, worship together, pray for each other, and do it all with confidence, knowing that Christ has died for us and Christ has risen. And again, as always, we want to stress as we prepare to leave this morning that if you don't know what it means to be a part of a church family, what it means to be a part of God's family, Talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer those questions and happy to pray with you. But I'll pray for us, and we'll sing. We hope you have a great Sunday, and we hope you have a Merry Christmas over the next few weeks ahead, and we look forward to celebrating it with you. So let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship. And I know many of us come into this time of year, and we're stressed with all the gifts to buy and things to do and trips to make and everything that comes along with the holidays. But I pray these times of worship, even though they're brief, even though they're only once a week, I pray that these corporate gatherings of your people and your community would encourage us and inspire us to keep what's really important important during this Christmas season. Thank you that we can celebrate the incarnation of your Son. Thank you that you've provided that Savior, provided that Deliverer that Adam and Eve didn't just need, but every single one of us needed as well. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this worship that we've had together this morning. And be with us, be with us in the week ahead in all the places that you'll send us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.